0: Hebrews chapter 7, preaching through the book of Hebrews this summer, we've heard a lot about Jesus being compared to Moses, to priests, to Abraham, we come this week to, it's been said a couple of times that he is uh, of the order of Melchizedek, there's not a lot written about Melchizedek in the Old Testament or New Testament, really just a couple of places, a verse here or there in the Old Testament. There's more in the book of Hebrews about it, but the title of the message is, what's the point? Have you ever read a book, maybe you're halfway through it and you're kind of going, what's the point? Have you ever read three pages in a book and you kind of realize, I don't remember anything I just read? Has that ever happened to you? That's, that's bad, especially if it's a textbook and you're going to be tested on that. That always scared me. When I was so tired, I'm just, you know, the words are passing before your eyes. You're not getting it. What's the point? Maybe this next slide will wake you up. Decaf coffee. What's the point? (laughs) Someone has said it's just useless dark brown water. Anybody here a decaf drinker? You just like the flavor? I'm kind of thinking, you know, hey, if you're not going to get woke up by it, what's the point? (laughs) Maybe somebody's been talking to you. Maybe you're having a conversation and you're kind of starting to zone out. You're kind of thinking... Is there a point? Is this going somewhere? What's the point? Well, I love what the writer of Hebrews does. The first part of chapter 8, he's going to say, Alright, here's the main point. Why have we been talking so much about Melchizedek? Why have we been talking so much about high priest? Here's the main point. So really just two points today to get to the main point. One is about the former priest. The other is about the fulfillment of all of that. The perfect high priest who is Jesus. Let me read the first few verses here out of chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 23 and read through the end of the chapter for the first and second point. The former priests were limited. Listen to this. The former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore... For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son, made perfect forever. Let's look first of all at these former priests. And keep in mind, this was God's idea. This was God's plan. God established the priesthood in the Old Testament. There was a purpose for it. There was a purpose for the law. There was a purpose for the priesthood. And much of what the Old Testament does is points towards Jesus. It points towards perfection. It points towards the completion. The Old Testament high priests were incomplete. They were limited in what they could do. He says, first of all, they existed in greater numbers. Why? Because they died. If you read the Old Testament, it describes one of the high priests, or one of the priests, it would say, and then he died. So from about the age of 25 to 50, this priest would be a priest, and then one time he would have the privilege, perhaps, of being the high priest. So there's priests in Jerusalem, but then there was one high priest. And, and that high priest got the honor of one time a year going into the Holy of Holies. Now, he had duties. He had functioned the rest of the year. He offered sacrifices daily in the temple. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 22-24, to 24, just one example of this. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed... They brought him, who's him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what did Mary and Joseph do? When Jesus was about eight, they take him up to the temple to be to be to offer a sacrifice, to be dedicated. and So they offered a sacrifice. So the the priest offered sacrifices pretty much every day in the temple. With one exception to Jesus, and that is this. They had to first offer a sacrifice for themselves. They could not approach God. And certainly on the day of Yom Kippur, that one day a year, the day of atonement, where they would actually go behind the veil, they had to offer a sacrifice. Why? Because they were sinful. They had to be right with God. And so they offered a sacrifice before they could offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. The Old Testament priests made daily sacrifices every day in the temple, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. Let me just let you in know on something: all the Levitical priests were sinful. It's no different than today. The preacher that stands before you today is sinful. We need a Savior. And so what they did was a shadow. You're going to hear that word again toward the end of the message. They needed a sh- It was a shadow of what was coming. Let me tell you, what was coming was a whole lot better than the shadow. So the Old Testament priest made sacrifice and offerings for themselves and then for the sins of the people. And the Bible also says they were weak, literally feeble, with a malady. They were frail. But they were part of God's plan. Now, some people kind of think, "I wish we could kind of go back to that. (laughs) I wish we could just go back to at least one day a year you would you felt like you were clean." Let me tell you something. What the priest did on Yom Kippur was temporary. It wasn't complete. They offered sacrifice before God. The priest represented the people before God, but it was incomplete. But here's what we do today. We don't have a priest. We don't have Yom Kippur. So the struggle we have is how do we deal with sin? Let me tell you what I've observed in people. Here's how people deal with their own sin. And then I'll tell you how they should deal with it. One way is they just ignore it. They act like it doesn't exist. This is the conversation I've had with people in my office before talking about their need of a Savior. Had had a guy tell me straight up. He said, you know, I'm just not that bad of a guy. I, I just... Since I was born, I just really haven't done that much wrong. You hear him say, haven't done that much wrong. He at least acknowledges he does something wrong. So in other words, we're going to ignore that we have any sin. So we're going to face God someday with this package, this truckload of sin. And expect God to let us into heaven. Doesn't work that way. In fact, I've done the math before and here. I'll do it again today. If you live 70 years. Let's just do the math. How many sins would that add up to Let's just say... Three times a day, you either think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing. Just three times a day. 365 days a year, let's round it off. That's a 1,000 sins a year. Live 70 years, how many is that? 70,000 sins. So we're going to face God someday with 70,000 sin and act like it doesn't exist. Go to the fish market and buy a fish. Buy a fresh fish. Have them wrap it up. Have them put it in ice. Leave it in your car. What's going to happen after a few hours in the sun? Go to the beach and have a blast. Don't get back in your car for three days. What's going to happen in your car over those three days? The ice is going to melt, melt, and the fish is going to begin to smell. And it's going to smell bad. You're not going to want to get back in your car. Folks, that's the picture we ought to have of sin that hadn't been dealt with. You can't ignore it. Okay? So you get back in your car after three days. You go pick your girlfriend up for a date. You open the door for her. Honey, get in. Before you walk around to get in your door to start the car up, she's already going, this date's over. I don't know what happened in here before he opened this door, but we're not going anywhere in this car. And maybe it's him that smells so bad, I think the relationship's done. Okay. All right, so you can't ignore sin any more than you're going to ignore a rotting fish for three days in your car. Right? Or can we agree to that? And if some of you are still iffy on it, try me. Go buy the fish. Leave it in your car for three days. Don't park in the garage. Park out in the sun. Let it bake for a while. So you can ignore it. Bad idea. Number two, you can hide. That's what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve sinned. They knew they sinned. What did they do? They went and hid, so you can kind of hide from God, which is not you, playing hide and go seek with God is not a real good idea. You know, God, who's all knowing, <laughs> He knows where you are and He knows what you did. So to hide it is not a good idea. Did anybody clean your house by just hiding stuff? We we all do it. You might as well confess it, right? <laughs> As long as the closet door will open and you can cram it all in there before the company arrives. And as long as somehow you can close it and it stays closed. Just don't let them go in that room. Maybe it's not even, maybe, you know, it used to be you sweep it under the rug. We got stuff in our house we can't sweep it under the rug. We try to put it in the closet before they get there. I served on church staff with a pastor who I thought he had the neatest office. Every time I walked in there, whether he knew I was coming or not, his office was so neat until one day he opened these drawers. He had this huge bookcase with drawers. And when, when he opened the drawer, you realize what he would do is just kind of rake everything in his drawer. Well, you're hiding stuff. Here's the problem with hiding sin. You deal with shame the rest of your life. You're not ignoring it. You acknowledge it exists. You're just hiding it. And you know what the enemy does for that? The, the devil will do a tap dance on your head. To say, you're not worthy for God to love you. And you know what? You're not. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. God loves you because He made you. And He's God. And He loves you. So, you can ignore sin. You can hide it. Or you can try to fix it yourself. Sin is not one of those do-it-yourself projects. Okay? Okay? I know I like going to Home Depot or Lowe's and getting stuff, trying to fix stuff around the house. Sin's not something you can deal with on your own. And here's the way people try to deal with it on their own. They're thinking, I know I've got sin, but maybe if I just do enough good works, it'll balance out. You're not going to get to heaven and there'll be some kind of scale. You know the scales I'm talking about that have put weight on one side and then you counter the weight on the other to figure out how much this weighs? If that's the way it works in heaven, the the scale is always going to tilt towards condemnation, sin. You've broken the law. So, it's a good idea to do good things. But folks, we don't do good things so that God loves us. We do good things because God loves us. Ephesians 2, yes, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Lest any man should boast. But Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Just don't get them out of balance. So that's the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament. That's how the priesthood functioned in the Old Testament. Let's look at the better news. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment. Continuing that passage, He says He continues forever. Now how's that contrasted with the Old Testament priest? What kept happening to the Old Testament priest? They kept dying. Jesus died once and for all. and It was to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. He's not dying. He's eternal. He's living forever. He continues forever. In fact, it says he holds the priesthood permanently. See what the writer of Hebrews is doing? He's speaking, by the way, primarily to Jews. He's speaking to a Jewish church that has come to faith in Christ. These are completed Jews in or around Rome problem is there were some people in the church that hadn't quite gotten there yet. They had forsaken Judaism. They just hadn't jumped in the boat of Christianity yet. They were kind of still checking it all out. And even the ones who'd come to faith were hearing what was being said around them and questioning, have I made the right decision? So the writer of Hebrews uses an awful lot of Old Testament verses that they would be familiar with to show them how Jesus is the complete fulfillment. Yeah, the high priest and the priest were part of the Old Testament. Jesus is now the new high priest. He's the one that all of those pointed to. And the reason he keeps being compared to Melchizedek, which, by the way, if you're a history buff, I'll try not to bore you here. Melchizedek came before the Aaronic priesthood was established. Not much said about him. All that's said about him is, we don't know who his mother and father is. Now, did he have one? Yes, it just didn't tell us in Scripture. So it says he had no beginning and no end. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of that kind of priesthood, even before Aaron became the first official high priest. And so Jesus continues forever and His priesthood is permanent. And then it says He is able to save forever. Let's just unpack the significance of, that, of those few words. Jesus is able. It literally means powerful. Able or possible. Jesus is able to do something you and I can't do. Remember the three choices? Ignore it. Hide it. Try to deal with it on your own. None of that is effective for dealing with sin. Why? Because sin still exists. Even what was going on in the Old Testament wasn't fully effective. Why? Because they kept having to have Yom Kippur. What happened right after the Day of Atonement this year is that the people went back to their lives and as try as they might, they still were sinful. And they weren't forgiven completely. Their sins were covered. They weren't taken away. What did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus didn't just cover sin. He took sin away. He's able to do what you and I cannot do. He's able to save. In fact, hear me say this. Jesus is powerful enough to save you no matter what you've done. It amazes me. I still have conversations with people about their salvation, their relationship with God. And they'll hang their head and say, but you don't know what I've done. Well, maybe I don't. But God does. And God is able to save you. Why? Because He's God. And He's all powerful. And He's able to save. The Old Testament sacrifices partially and temporarily covered sin, but they never partially or temporarily removed sin. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He's able to save forever forever you hear that word he's able to save forever the, the truth about our salvation is I am saved I'm being saved I will be saved it, it is a it is a, a, something that has begin, begun in Christ the work that he's begun in us he will bring about to completion he saved us he set us apart the day we trusted him as our Lord and Savior the day we drew near to him and came to Christ he saved us But he's continuing to grow us into the person he wants us to be. So he's able to save forever. Who does he save? Those who draw near to God through faith. No other qualification. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Does that include the person that says, But preacher, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have a little provision. It doesn't have a footnote that says, Except for those who've crossed this line. Everybody look at me. We've all crossed the line. We're all sinners. That's why we're in desperate need of a Savior. If we could fix ourselves, Jesus didn't have to come and die on the cross. And so He's able to save forever those who draw near to Him. How does that work? The first thing you got to do is admit you're, you need Him. Instead of ignoring sin, instead of hiding sin, instead of trying to fix it yourself, you finally come to the point in your life where you realize, hey, I'm a sinner. And I can't hide it anymore. I'm tired of being ashamed of it. I'm tired of trying to fix it myself or just act like it doesn't exist. It does exist and God's got it right in my face. Why does God point out your sin? Because He wants to forgive you. He wants you to turn from your sin and turn to Him in faith. So the first thing you've got to do is admit you have a need. Admit that you're a sinner. And understand that God has paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. Yes, even yours. And God is able to save forever. So you draw near to God and say, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. Now, how do we live the rest of our life after that? I'm glad you asked that question because He's about to answer it. Not only is He saved forever those who draw near us, listen to this, He always lives to make intercession. Constantly making intercession for us. How does that look? Romans 8, 34 says this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is interceding for you right now? What does that look like? Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus was praying for you yesterday. Jesus will pray for you tomorrow. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this. He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you would not sin. But if you do sin, understand you have an advocate with the Father. What what does that look like? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So here's how it's fleshed out practically. As we pray, Jesus intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit takes our words. And the two of them take that before the throne of God, the Father. And those groanings, those, those cries of our soul and spirit that we couldn't even put into words are communicated by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to the Father. Let me tell the story this way. A young man's father was serving in the military and had been gone for months. He heard that his dad was coming home and so he went out and picked some pretty flowers and put them in the refrigerator. What he didn't realize is those pretty flowers were weeds. Put him in the refrigerator. A couple days later, he went to get the bouquet and they weren't weeds there anymore. They were roses that his mom had picked out of her garden so that he could give those to the Father. How does that translate here? Listen, Jesus takes our weeds and makes a bouquet out of it so that our prayers reach the ears of the Father the way Jesus would have them reach the ears of the Father. He intercedes for us. Constantly. Continually. Listen, the security of our salvation is Jesus. Hear me say this. We can't keep ourselves saved any more than we can save ourselves. You hear that? The security of our salvation is not once we come to faith in Christ, now we just become perfect. Anybody here, after you come to Christ, still committed a sin? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising mine. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm not giving you permission to go sin. I'm just telling you, sin is still a part of our life because we had not seen God face to face yet. And sin ought to become less and less a part of your life. Absolutely. But folks, I still need a God to forgive me. And the good news is, He's forgiven me. Then it says it is fitting for us to have this kind of Savior Let me just give you these five words for Jesus. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to get a picture today. Maybe just a reminder of who our Savior is. first word he uses is the word holy. In fact, it's not the normal word. It's hazeos instead of hagios for those of you that are Greek scholars. But it literally means holy. It means observant of God's will. What does it mean? It means He perfectly kept the will of God. Holy. He's innocent. Literally, not bad, without evil, blameless. No one, God nor no man, had a sin they could hold up and say, Jesus is guilty of this. What did they crucify Jesus for? They crucified Him because He claimed to be God. Was that a sin? No, because He was speaking the truth. Third thing, He's undefiled, literally unsoiled, unstained, uncontaminated. Uncontaminated. Is free from moral or spiritual blemish. It means when the magnifying glass gets put on Jesus, there's not a spot there. I remember as a kid, teenager growing up, my mother had a makeup mirror. It had the lights around it. And I'd go before a date, you know, and kind of check out anything, any kind of anything happening on my face here I need to take care of. And the bad thing is, not only to have this makeup mirror, you could flip it over, and then it like magnified everything by ten times. And so if you had something going on you need to take care of, now all of a sudden it looked hideous. Well, folks, you can find, still find spot or blemish on me and in me. But Jesus was absolutely undefiled. Separated from sinners. Literally to place room between or to divide. Jesus lived among sinners. Jesus associated with sinners. But Jesus never participated in their sin. And then it says He's exalted above the heavens. It alludes to the triumph of His resurrection, His ascension and glorification. That's the Savior that we have because He once for all offered Himself up. He's been made perfect forever. The last thought is this. Then we get to verse 1 and 2. Let me read those and I'm done. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. Just real quickly, He's taking His seat. I love that. Why did Jesus sit down? Because His work's finished. The Old Testament priest went into the Holy of Holies. There wasn't anywhere to sit. Why? Because they were constantly ministering. Why did Jesus sit down? Is because when He cried out on the cross, "It is finished." It was finished. The penalty of our sin was paid. His work is done. Yet it doesn't mean he sits there idly. I've already told you as our advocate. He constantly intercedes for us. In fact, at least on one occasion, we see Jesus stand. Do you all remember that? In the book of Acts, when Stephen is being stoned, put to death for his faith, it says that he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I always struggle with what's the difference in the right hand and the left hand. In fact, the word literally, right hand, is a feminine word. It It really means he's on the side of mercy. And it goes back to this in the Sanhedrin. If you were brought before the Sanhedrin for breaking one of the laws of God, they had scribes on either side of the high priest. The leader of the the Sanhedrin would have scribes on either side. The scribe on the left was responsible for writing condemnations. The scribe on the right was responsible for writing acquittals. So I think it's a picture that you and I don't get because we don't understand that. But the fact that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father is because in Him we are acquitted. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And He's ministering in the sanctuary the true tabernacle that the Lord pitched, not man. The Old Testament, as they left Egypt, they had a tabernacle. Basically made out of tents until they could get to the temple and build it. It was pitched by men, now under instruction from God. But the true tabernacle is in heaven where God has created it. And that's where Jesus is today. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the truth of that word. And God, it's possible to get bogged down into all the Melchizedek and high priest and things that we just don't relate real well to. And yet, Father, the truth is All of those things were a shadow of what was to come. Lord, I thank you that we no longer are seeing just the shadows. We now see the real thing. Jesus has been the perfect fulfillment of the promise. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses, that washes sin away. And thank you that it wasn't anything I did because I could do nothing. God, it was what You did. And because of faith in Jesus Christ, we can know You. Thank You for that. In Christ's name.